check, check, check. Yeah, yeah. no, that's good. Yeah, that's yeah, good yeah. for you. Is that good for me? Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Uh, just like laugh like I said something hilarious. <laughs> You're so funny. Uh, all right, thank you so much. Uh, oh, sorry, no, no, do it one more time, one more time. Oh, my God, so funny. Thank you, and welcome to uh, another episode of the Jew Rogaine Experience. Joining me today, I've got Latif Tayor. Am I saying Tayor right? Is that perfect? It, that's perfect. Yeah, okay. perfectly saying How many it. times do people call you Taylor when they're introducing you? Not that often. Not that often anymore? Yeah. But historically, quite often. Historically, at this point, you're like a known entity, and nobody wants to fuck up the, the host name. of the comedy bunker, the the booker of the comedy bunkers' uh, last name when they're bringing him up on stage. Uh, I mean, I have been called Latit before. Latit, so, yeah. You like accidentally or on purpose? No, accidentally. It should have been on purpose. It, it would have been funnier, but should have. I'm gonna start calling you Latit. You should. There goes me ever getting on the comedy bunker. Uh, no, <laughs> but I, I did think about one time being like, well, should my name be more anglicized for showbiz? Should it be Larry Taylor? Larry Taylor? I, my first job in music, uh, they literally said, they're like, your name's too hard. You're Larry Taylor. Oh, really? You, the, got, you like Ellis. The music business is like Ellis Island. Just this is the 90s. Any, <laughs> any foreign person at all walks in like, you got a weird name. You're Larry now. I like I like the Ellis Islandness of the <laughs> of the movie business. Yeah, it was it was like that. So that was my first. And then when I was working on, uh, I'm amazed that that Arnold Schwarzenegger didn't become Arnold Schwartz when he uh, when he got here. Yeah, I mean th these are good questions. But then at the end of the day, how many cool names did we lose because of like just uh, racists at the border when people were coming in on boats? I mean, just in terms of Hollywood, we lost names and like Tom Cruise. I, we gained a name because his name would, is not Tom Cruise. What's his name? I didn't even know it's he like was Krasinski a or something. Oh, his his Krasinski. That was a good change. Yeah, you know. Maybe maybe these Ellis Island guys were on to something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I prefer Krasinski. I prefer Cruise to Krasinski. Uh, Melvin Kaminsky is Mel Brooks' real name. Alan Coinsberg is uh, Woody Allen's real name. Yeah, that's uh, they did that as a choice, right? To, yeah, th th um, those were their choices. Yeah. I'm gonna. So I thought about changing. Uh, I thought yeah. about changing Edelman, but uh, no. To what? I don't know. Josh, I, Josh Edel. My middle name is That's Reed. I was gonna go with Joshua Reed for a while, but well, but you, you have know, a Reed roommate. But so you can't yeah, do yeah. That. Well, it's so funny. I, it because he spells his name differently than my middle name. It never occurs <laughs> to me. It's amazing how just the spelling, even though they sound exactly the same, like deletes it in my mind as being did he tell you what i introduced him on stage i brought him up as no what did you bring him up i was as? like coming to the stage he's so funny give it up for reed hastings reed hastings was that on accident just like a freud a slip because i mean he's the ceo of netflix oh okay <laughs> and i guess were people like it's we're, we're all these people in the audience since it's hollywood just like oh fuck i gotta get my script ready i think i'm the only one who knows that actually. okay okay because i didn't know that and i live across the street <laughs> and was trying to do a deal with him maybe that's what did the that's what did yeah. me in um, I did I, a business school project on Netflix, and so it kind of like stuck with me. I have a thing about how if I'm being brought up on stage and they give me the wrong name when I'm walking up on stage, don't I, not my thing. Just don't correct them. Just like like there's nothing that'll tank your set in my opinion more than correcting your wrong name. I was brought up as Kyle once, and I was just Kyle for the show. Yeah, and then at the end I said I'm Josh Edelman, and people are like, "What? I thought you were Kyle." Like, nah, I just you know. Just, I have the the like things like you were Latit for I, that. I day. have that to go to because so if they mess up my name, I was like, oh, that was pretty close, man. It's not as bad as being called Latit. Latit. So, which is Spanish for the tit? <laughs> French, right? Or is, is le in Spanish as well? Yeah, I think so, but it's feminine. Okay, and L tit would be L tit would be masculine. 
Elted is pretty cool. That sounds like a production Elted. company for Robert Rodriguez. For his porn company. Because he's El Rey, right? El Rey? Yeah, something like El Rey that. Network? I, I, uh, one of the first things, like when I was getting started making films as a kid, on the um, El Mariachi, Desperado, two-disc DVD, they had his 10-minute film school. Where oh, yeah. That was, like, that, was like, that was like so many people's foray For into sure. filmmaking. Did you make his uh, breakfast tacos that he put in there? No. I did. It was awesome. You see, I, when I was a kid, I ate nothing but macaroni and cheese. So, like, breakfast time. Yeah, I did all his terrible. cooking schools. I read the book about how you made the movie for five grand on selling blood or whatever. It, it was inspirational. Yeah, I did go start selling blood, even though I came from a wealthy Jewish family. I just needed <laughs> How much did you get? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't do that. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I, I actually, it's funny, you know, I learned this before I came to Los Angeles, but, like, I grew up in an area that was so affluent yeah. that I felt like we were poor, even though, like, once I left there, I was like, oh, we were rich. We were just the poorest rich people. Everything's relative. That's Everything's why they say happiness is, like, you shouldn't compare yourself to other people. Total. Well, my mom once, you know, we were getting into an argument, and she goes to me, like, she used on me, like, like, you know what's going on to children in Africa? I go, no, I don't know what's going on with children in Africa. All I know what's happening to me right now, and it's the worst thing that's ever happened. Did she tell you? <laughs> No, no. I mean, like, like I like knew, but I'm like, I couldn't, I couldn't. I, I thought, like, like I can't. I've never experienced that, but in my life, the things I've, because that's like when, when, um, women get divorced from like wealthy guys. Never the other way. But women get divorced from wealthy guys. They argue in court a quality of life uh, that they've become accustomed to, and that's like part of like the argument for why they get the money, even if they were just a trophy wife. Yeah, you've got a lot of law facts in the Seth episode. You brought up the Supreme Court. Like you're very well. Oh well, I'm in the middle of a lawsuit right now, and I, I was I actually have a new bit about this After, for mentally ill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to get into the details because I'm in the middle of it. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I'm in the middle of a lawsuit right now. And I have a whole new bit about how, like, once you start hiring a lawyer to like you start to become a lawyer yourself. Yeah. I'm just like constantly using legal terms and like every day, like I'll be hitting on a girl at a bar and someone else will come over and try to talk to her like, hey, your spurious actions have tortiously interfered yeah. with the silent contract between me and this lady. I'm seeking damages of the two drinks I bought. It's a powerful language to use to your advantage, too, because when you use it, people, people get stop. scared. They're they like, scared. oh, okay, what? These are scary words. They're scary words. I think, first of all, since you brought up, since I guess I brought up your doc, I watched it. It was phenomenal. Thank you. Thank it was you. so good. I'm, like, blown away. Thank you I have so, so much. Many, I, I could oh, talk about that for yeah, the whole Yeah, no, no, you're, you're, welcome. I mean, you're welcome to interview me. About, my show's mostly about me being interviewed by my guests. Is it? Yeah, because I have a... I have a um, <laughs> I mean, I have topics and stuff, but yeah. um, I've always said as a comedian, my goal on stage is to be the version of myself that guests on people's podcasts. And I'm not right. getting booked on enough podcasts. So I was like, let me just start my own podcast where I can invite people on. And show how to be, to be you were a great guest. The people loved the episode <laughs> thank we did. You, thank I got you. a lot of good comments. Also, Latif uh, hosts a great podcast called uh, The Show Business. It's show business. It's show business. It's show business. Honestly, you know, I've known Latif for, for many years, but that's when we became friends. Yeah, that's that what the podcasts are great for because you can be like kind of tangentially friends with someone just through the scene. And then mm -hmm. you do a pod and you kind of like bond over things you like. I didn't know you were so into movies and you're a director, all these things. And now we have that to talk about and text about. And yeah, yeah. Tell me more about loving my documentary. Oh, yeah. Can't <laughs> <laughs> Enough of that. My doc. So it was just so well done. So well directed. Um, I love like 
I loved I fell in love with Al, to be honest. Like and I feel like we're all a little bit of him. So I mean that's the thing. Like I very much like I think about it. It's amazing how often I think about things about Al, like like in relation to my own life. And I look at Al so much as like for someone with so many problems, he's also someone that in weird ways is like ascribed to an ideal philosophy for me. Because like I, th- I had this moment once where um, somebody like like I remember being a kid and being like, uh, like, I'll never sell out and make a bad movie for money. And then cut to like 15 years later, I'm making the worst sketch I've ever read for these people for 400 bucks. And I'm just like, ah, my price was $400. Yeah, after all that. (laughs) That, uh, After my, like, I wouldn't take millions of dollars to make a rom-com. I don't, like, 400 bucks was what it took. (laughs) Yeah. And just, like... But Al, Al, like, is that that kid still who, like... Never sold out, and it's cost him. But but there's an i there's an idealism to that. I didn't get the like. Well, the to me, it didn't walk the line of sellout versus non sellout. No, no, that's just like one aspect. Because like uh, at least in terms of what you presented in the doc, it wasn't like Coca Cola come to the ad. He's like, no, I'm I'm a real. It just felt like it was more of a uh, an ambition, a choice of ambition, yeah, and a choice of how he spend his time. Well, he and talk- he was so introspective about it, and so he wasn't like, "Why aren't I?" He's like, "It's because I'm not working hard enough." Well, to, well, you know, he, I mean, he's so smart. Like, yeah. like, like Al is is one of, if not the smartest people I've ever met. Also, you know, the smartest person with the most arrested development and most hyper anxiety I've ever yeah. met. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, the thing that was so amazing about making it was just that he was such a. So many people when I'm interviewing them, you got to have like ten minutes of the interview go by before they start to become who they are. Yeah. Because like everyone's like kind of putting on a show at first and like trying to present themselves in a certain way, and you hold the camera on them so that eventually they become so so accustomed to the camera that they just start to be themselves again. Yeah, that's the podcast form, the long form podcast long-form format. Al was just him, like you turn. He's just him. He can't be anything but himself. Yeah, those scenes when it was him and like I guess his aunt or someone who knew his mom. I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wha- like, how are you guys talking like so? Like the camera isn't here. Totally. It was totally. It, it was quite amazing. Well, oftentimes you know things would just start happening, and I'd just like be like Jordan, just start filming, yeah, just start yeah. filming. How like those scenes with my mom. It was just breakfast was happening. I was like, grab the camera, and, like, yeah, just, just turn it on. That's your insight as a director. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you get the footage with him and Jim McCauley to? So there's another documentary though. This is, in some ways, mine's a sequel to a film oh. called uh, "A Stand Up Life," which is an hour long documentary that came out in like either 1990, 1989, right when Al was on, um, when he got cast to be on the Tonight Show, and the documentary follows him, everything leading up to his Tonight Show performance on Carson oh, as one gotcha. of the final performers. So what's interesting is that movie is about a comedian on the rise, yeah, and this is the follow-up of what happened to that guy 30 years later. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, because it looks so... Um uh, prof- like not that the rest of the movie wasn't professional, but it looks so professionally captured, not like a documentary style. And they had two cameras, and I was like, "How did you get this?" And so that makes a lot of sense. I don't know why. I like. I feel bad that I'm blanking on the director's name. I've had conversation with him. He's a great guy. Um, the guy who directed his stand-up life. I'll look it up. Before yeah, the I have notes about all the things I loved. Um, I love the Manhattan cue. Oh, thank you. That yeah, was yeah. just so great. Thank you. Was that hard to get? No, you know, uh, <laughs> what's funny is we found the track and um, 
fortunately, one, the movie came out the year Rhapsody in Blue became public domain. So uh, I was able, like, it was like, what, what serendipity that it became public domain. And then we searched for the rights of the version we used, and it just, we like went to every house and it seemed like nobody owned the rights to that version. So we just had it to use. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great little moment. And I know that you're a Woody fan. So it kind of like, it kind of. I'm a fan of his work. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, (laughs) that goes without saying. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there was a moment where, like, uh, he was doing a crowd work bit on stage with the Deep Thinker bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The death penalty is, uh, as you know, uh, is legal in Florida, right? You got the death penalty, right? Yeah. Right. I, I don't understand the logic of it. The major reason is, right, an eye for an eye. You killed someone, so we're going to kill you, which does sound logical. But then how can we use the same reasoning for other crimes? Right, like, if you're convicted of attempted murder. How come they don't put you in an electric chair that doesn't quite work? <laughs> but what I was saying about the juvenile, what? JK. Right, it, it goes this, what? JK. What does JK stand for? Just kidding. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> uh, right. that? Is that like LOL? LOL means lots of laughs, right? Yeah. Is that what that means? But I don't understand your logic. I can see what you're going for. Like, is this just kidding? But it's not really. If you really were kidding, there was no intent to really commit murder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? For the crime of attempted murder, you have to really intend to commit murder and fail at it. Right? If you are, if you like zap someone and say just kidding, you never intended to kill him. So it really is not analogous to the crime of attempted murder. It's more, you know, what? They sentence you to murder. They don't sense. No one sentences you to murder. We're sentencing you. You're gonna have to kill somebody. You did such a bad thing. We're making you do it again. Sentence to murder. Right, I know what you're trying to say. But I don't think it's a perfect, I agree. My thing was electric, my my thing was an electric chair that doesn't quite work. Which is the same thing as you're saying. So why say it? (laughs) Unless you're such a deep thinker, you're like, he made a joke, I'll make an attempted joke. Like, well, I don't want to go into it. You just, guys just watch the doc. It's phenomenal. But, like, his crowd work was so good and so introspective. And just, like, it, it was probably one of the best pieces of crowd work I've ever seen. Oh, absolutely. That's, uh, I get so many comments. A lot of people say that's their favorite part of the film. And there's other incredible crowd work moments that happen throughout making the doc. But, you know, you got to pick and choose. I kind of – one of the things I wanted to do and why there aren't more of those – is I wanted to kind of show Al tackling every different type of comedy in a way. Yeah. So like that's like the crowd work moment. Uh, then there's like you know him doing the story and like 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 with the donkey scene and like in that you get someone who's telling the story from a person's perspective, right? Intercut with 
Al telling that same story as stand-up to see how like a story turns into stand-up, mixed with unbelievable when I found all those pics of, of the – I had no idea those pictures existed. And then I'm going through and I'm like, there's actually pictures of this? It was like such – So I was saying this to someone the other day, like – like with sports, you know, there's an element of luck that comes into into sports. No matter like who's better or worse, oftentimes life just is luck. like life is like, you know, does Tom Brady win as many Super Bowls if a call doesn't go one way or the other? Yeah. And it's like with filmmaking, as much as like, you know, Tom Brady's in the position to win those Super Bowls because he's so great. Yeah. And then the luck needs to go his way. And great filmmakers, not not meaning myself, but, but just great filmmakers in general, are more frequently in the position to make great movies. But there's so many elements of luck that need to go their way for it to, for it to happen always, always, yeah. with everything you do. What's that saying? Uh, Better to be lucky than good? Lucky than good, or uh, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. Oh, yeah. Was I telling you that on the last podcast? Uh, that I mean, I remember that from my uh, math teacher from it's, it's high like school. My, it's my motto. Shout out to Mr. Sarna. It's my motto in life. Luck is preparedness meets uh, opportunity. Yeah, because, I mean, it's a little, it's, you know, cliche, but it's like kind of like that eight mile. It's like you're going to get your shot. If you're not prepared, you're going to blow it. Exactly, exactly. You know, you don't know. You, you, you don't you, know when it's going to be. You can't count on even getting one shot. So when one shot comes your way, you better be ready yeah. for it. How did you uh, mix the sound so well? Because like some of those clips, like you're te- like it must have been hard. Matt Schwartz, if you if you need a sound, mi- Matt Schwartz saved my movie. If I, I mean, I'm not eligible for an Oscar, but if I won an Oscar, why I are you would, not eligible? Because you have to. It, uh, the Oscars are actually similar to film festivals in that you have to submit okay. and like pay fees and. And just like we don't have the money to do like a campaign and send out screeners to everyone and all this stuff, so we just didn't submit for okay. the Oscars. I don't think we were gonna <laughs> get it. There's plenty of film festivals that yeah, we didn't yeah, make yeah. it into. That's good. I mean, target your your, Listen, your resources. The New York Times article was was that Oscars was amazing. enough, yeah, yeah. dude. I was sitting on the toilet. Jay Light texts me, congratulations. I go, for what? You and didn't know? And then he sends me a screen grab that just says best documentary and the thing. And I'm like, what's this from? And he goes, the New York Times. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Wow. And then I, uh, I look, there's a shout out to Jay Light for yeah, being yeah. the person who let me know. That's amazing you didn't know. I didn't. I had no idea. But they wouldn't contact the filmmaker. Yeah, no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Um, blew my mind. So your your friend uh, saved the sound because you have like, like in a comedy club is super ambient, and then you're cutting that with like very close mic stuff, and it's like back. Matt Schwartz is just like he's. I mean, we went through so many passes of mixing the sound to get it good. Like, yeah, trust me, the sound was a disaster. Oh we yeah, didn't, we didn't have a sound person. It was me and my DP. Like, yeah. well now you fumb- <laughs> fumbling around like idiots trying to get the sound. Like. Yeah. I, you know, I was like setting up the lob sometimes. I didn't even realize there was a headphone jack and a microphone jack that were separate. So there were times where I plugged in the microphone jack into the headphone jack. And then I'm, we're like using the audio from the mic on the camera from like 10 feet away yeah. from them. Matt was just like, he is, a, he was He's a godsend. Guy, yeah. That's and amazing. he did it. I mean, I paid him a lot, but, like, he did it for so much less than he should have been paid. I mean, um, movies are, like, sound is so important to film and TV. Like, it's, without good sound, you don't really have a picture. Better to have good sound than good picture. Yeah. It's, like, like 
you no matter how beautiful the image is, they're going to be more distracted by how bad it sounds. Yeah, and especially when you're making a non-doc and you have to a lot of the effects and stuff are basically generated. Like yeah. everything you hear is usually not recorded on site. I mean, there's site. a bit of ADR in the doc. Like like the interview with Al after um he has like the redemption set in the Borgata. Yeah. That's one of the times where I plugged it into the <laughs> headphone jack and the camera was so far away. I literally had Al come here and we ADR'd that whole interview. That's amazing because you couldn't tell. Oh, I mean, I we spent hours. <laughs> we spent hours. I wanted to get every line right. I wanted it to look like it wasn't. <laughs> he doesn't seem like a guy who wants to do ADR. He's not a guy that wants to do anything. Yeah. Um, when I when I the way that the doc got made was I. Um, long story short. Uh, very long story short, I tweeted it out when I first moved to Los Angeles and saw a show of his that I loved his show and wanted to talk to him about making something. Four years later, I get a message from him saying, hey, Josh, just saw I have a Twitter. Thanks for coming to my show. Would be happy to talk. We meet up and I tell him that I was just planning to reach out to him again about doing this project. And he goes, oh, you were going to reach out to me? Well, now I feel upset about reaching out to you because if I had any opportunity not to do something, I'd rather have not done it. <laughs> <laughs> missed opportunity. Missed, missed opportunity. <laughs> but he, he accepted, obviously. and uh, It was a it. process. It was a process to get him to accept. Yeah, how many years did it take? To make? Yeah. Well, so I first had the idea to do it when I was 16 years old. Uh, but from the point at which he agreed to do it to the point at which it came out, five years. Okay, so... Between five and 20 years. Between five and 20 <laughs> years. It's like hard to like, I mean, this is, this to me is my next project. Yeah. Uh, you, the, your bumper is, did you make that? Yeah. Like all, you did all the visual effects yourself. For, for, for the, for the podcast? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's great. Thank you. Thank you. It's kind of like, um, a little bit of, um, Bill Maher's one with like your own twist where it's just like crazy things happening and it's, it's very good. I was, and. I was shocked. Oh, at the beginning of the podcast? Yeah. Oh, oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I made that too. Yeah, I'm gonna, you know, I do film. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I'm, I'm going to post it on, on Instagram eventually. But directing and doing that kind of stuff is usually different people. Well, I mean, my main job, or right now I'm not doing it as much, but my main job is video. I do a bunch of music so, videos. You're like uh, so successful from the doc that you can't do editing anymore? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, kind of, um, I'm kind of in a phase of trying to focus on trying to make stand-up the thing I'm making my money from. Yeah. Because That elusive chalice. There's ways. There's ways. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it's going to be... Is this one way? This is one way, maybe. Yeah. I, I very much have a philosophy of throwing everything out there yeah. just like like i tell people i'll start saying no to things once i start having to say no to things that's a good quote does that make sense yeah, yeah. it's like once i've noticed that i've had to say no to a couple of things because i'm too busy or doing other things or getting these offers or having yeah. to like cancel things then i'll start being a little more particular about what i'm accepting because yeah, um, your time becomes more valuable and where you put your time. Exactly. But like right now, I've accepted doing two minutes on a live podcast show <laughs> performing. Wait, two minutes? Two minutes of stand up on something. That's like, how? what are you going to do? Well, it's like a live podcast okay. where people do two, two minutes. minutes. But like the person goes, uh, <laughs> someone came up to me and goes, someone asked me if you wanted to do two minutes. I told them you're above that. I was like, no, no, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever speak for me again. Yeah, you said the the person told me he called him and said like I spoke out of turn. Josh will do it. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Um, but it, uh, 
Yeah, so, I don't see the. I remember once I was doing a show, and um, there was a comedian before me. I'd never seen him before, never heard of him. Yeah, he's on stage. I don't think I've seen him since. Somebody was filming him in the audience, and I understand getting upset about that. He he like yelled at the person to stop filming him, and then I got up after him and I thought and was like, "You can film me." Yeah, like what's the worst that happens? Did you I say get discovered? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, what's the worst that's gonna happen? I get discovered. I love. I was like saying, like, I love how people are afraid of getting canceled, but don't realize you need to get picked up first. Yeah, and it's also it's it, there's a natural historic sensitivity to being recorded before it's ready. Sure, but again, it's just like like the in the old model. How many how many people are gonna see? It? How many people care what Josh Edelman has online right now? Go go go. When I have a special that people care about, watch the special, then go find the clips of me getting those bits yeah, ready yeah. online. And like, like I thought actually about making a video. There's a Bill Burr bit. I forget which one, but I saw like three iterations of it. Like I saw him do it on tape three different times, and it evolved each time. And I considered making a um, video about the evolution of the bit, yeah. like showing all three and and like kind of breaking down how it changed and evolved. Um, I haven't made it. I've, I've been lazy, <laughs> but uh, but it's it's on my. It's one of the things in my queue of stuff that I. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, think y- about you're doing. absolutely right. I think it was Seinfeld who said like you can't be. Yeah, it was in his comedians in cars and him and Zach Galifianakis. Mm-hmm. Some, someone's like filming them, and he's like, "Doesn't that bother you?" He's like, "No. What are they gonna do with it?" He's like, well, it'll be all over the internet. And he's like, you can't be all over the internet. <laughs> it's <laughs> like it's not possible. So, yeah, all th- there's so much content constantly being created that like your little capture, unless you're super famous and you say something crazy, like Kramer, yeah, <laughs> then it's not really gonna go. The ho- example. That is the example. That yeah. is the example. That the example came into my head before you even said yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. So it's like we're exactly. all, yeah. Um, um, that was but like, don't say that. <laughs> I'm never I'm never going to say what he said. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, I, or if you're very famous and you're working, your craft is very important and you're doing kind of old school where you wait for the special like you don't want the jokes burned, so to speak. Sure, sure. I mean, I will say this, like when Louis uh, leak set leaked, that's my favorite thing Louis done since he's been canceled. Oh, that his favorite material. Of 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 the three of the leak set and then the two specials he released, mm-hmm. the leak set's my favorite. The leak set might be my favorite set I've ever heard from Louie. Okay, uh, it was the most like loose and free and honest set I've heard from him. And I understand people are upset about some of the controversial things. Uh oh. Um, I understand people are upset about some of the controversial things he said on it. But I just I'm, I'm so whatever at this point. Yeah, yeah. You got- like. There's a difference between saying controversial things on a, although um, you know Ed Sheeran said this recently about how the South Park episode about the gingers changed his life because people started it was the first time people started making fun of him for being ginger. It's not a presentation; it's a hate speech. People aren't creeped out by gingers. I am. Kyle, if you want to debate Eric, you can do so with your paper tomorrow. Fine, I will. Fine. In the meantime, shut your goddamn daywalker mouth. Let's see, where was I? Oh, yes. Like vampires, the ginger gene is a curse. And unless we work to rid the earth of that curse, the gingers could envelop our lives in blackness for all time. I was eating dinner last night with a ginger, and he reiterated that the ginger episode of South Park changed his life because he got beat up the next day for being ginger because of it. 
And I was like, and this sounds like a negative change your life. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I, yeah, no, both of them meant it in a negative yeah. way. But I was also like, yes, yeah, what you get for being a soulless ginger. Uh, <laughs> Horrible. Uh, uh, get out of here. No. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, there are co- just, I don't know. I think. There's so much pent up aggression in the world. Okay, there so is, actually, yeah. this this leads to one of the things I had written down that I wanted to talk about today. Okay. Uh, I saw an article this morning about how M and M's are going to start making their M and M characters more inclusive. I thought you were going to say lo- like M and M. No, 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 no. Because no. that'd be cool. <laughs> that would be cool, but they're going to make him less like Eminem. I guess Eminem's inclusive. He's a white rapper. That's about as inclusive as it gets. Yeah, it's a hybrid. Yeah, that, <laughs> I mean, if they made Eminem's... Is Eminem... I always thought his name was very strange because... Okay, so he's Marshall Mathers, Eminem. Mm-hmm. But like, I when you first hear that, you think of the candy. Like, yeah. I, I don't know this guy's name. I just thought it was an interesting name. Mm-hmm. I, like, I like when people say that Eminem is like not great i'm like dude eminem like was the number one rapper in the detroit rat like he like everyone of every race acknowledged him being the best in yeah. the comedy there's nothing more impressive than that yeah he is kind of universally recognized as one of the best totally totally yeah. but um, i think like i think his albums are a bit more uh just und- undeniably, his rap skills top, but his albums are a bit more of a taste thing. Totally, I, I love Eminem. Um, yeah, yeah, and and I I oftentimes listen to One Shot sometimes before I'm like doing uh, One Shot. Yeah, uh, before I've got like yeah, big shows. A big, oh, you get you hyped up. Get my, it's one. It's on my hype up track on my hype yeah, up yeah. playlist. When um, your when your Zoom died on the before we started, you went to the gas station mm-hmm. to get the batteries. Came back and you're like, get the movies ready. You told me, like, get your movies. Oh, oh like, what your favorite movies. Yeah. Yeah, but I want to talk about this. Oh, yeah, yeah, M- yeah sorry. M&M go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So they want to make uh, M&Ms more inclusive. And, like, one of the things they're doing is they're de-sexifying the green M&M, like, putting her in sneakers now and stuff. What was she in before? I don't know. She was, like, she had, like, sexy eyes or, or whatever. I'm just, like, here's what gets me. You know, I think that's cruel. Yeah. And I'll tell you why I think it's cruel. Because if you're jerking off to the green M&M, who are you hurting? Who are you hurting if that's what's rocking your socks? This sounds like your perspective. They're not doing that for this reason. Why, why are they doing it? Why are they taking away the green M&M? The hot green M&M? I can for, guarantee they're not having a meeting at what's it, uh, where, who? M&M's? At Mar- Mars. Mars. Is yeah. it Mars? It's, it is Mars. Good yeah. job. At Mars. I was very confused when I was reading the article. I was like, why are they having meetings on Mars? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, what? I was trying to understand what this had to do with Elon Musk. I'm not even kidding you. When I, I was, I woke up this morning. It was the first thing I did was read it, and I'm like, I was just like, what? What does Elon Musk have to do with Eminem? He's he's occupied the mind space of Mars. It's you unbelievable. Say Mars, it's unbelievable Elon. that I yeah, you say Mars, and I think Elon Musk. That, you know, this is the genius of Elon Musk. You say Dogecoin, you think of Elon Musk. You say electric car, you think of Elon Musk. You say space, you think of Elon Musk. Uh, all from the like he, he doesn't have a PR team. They I don't, uh, they don't advertise. He, they do no advertising. I'm gonna say I I kind of hate Elon Musk. I understand like the good things he does, but hate, he hate is such a strong fine, word. Fine, I don't like him, but I just think he's a. I think I wish people like Elon Musk did their good stuff quietly. 
But like, like when the he, CEO of Costco, he just does his <laughs> job. Just like, just do your, th- just do your thing. Make your rockets. You're like, like you, you get so involved. And you, it, it's very divisive. He's very Trump-like. He's very Kanye-esque. And like, like, don't get me wrong. I love Kanye's yeah. music, but like, but the other stuff is not good. I would say that this is a microcosm of the very things that we go through as comedians. We all wish we could just not do that public persona thing and do the comedy. Yeah, and I would argue that I'm sure part of Elon. He's a smart guy. He recognized he had to be that public figure because it's a positive cycle that reinforces the business. Just like if you had a if you had a million followers right now. But then he goes online saying things like the pandemic will be over by April. And then like, you know, you've got he's got it, it's this thing where you have such legions of like loyal followers who hang on every word you say. And it's just irresponsible and it causes more. And, and here's the thing about Elon Musk. He's always saying he's going to do these good things. And then those good things never happen. Like, like he's like, I'm going to build a power grid in Puerto Rico. And then eventually everyone forgets he said that there's no Puerto Rico's underwater. Uh, or he's like, he's like, I'm going to save those. I'm going to save the, that soccer team trapped in the mine. And then, and then some other guy saves him and he calls him a pedophile. I'm going to build a high speed rail from Los Angeles to San Francisco. No, he builds luxury automobiles and rocket ships for himself, which is very impressive, which is impressive. It's cool. But like, you're not some great, you're the Dogecoin. They like, in my personal opinion, I I, 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 you, I imagine you do crypto stuff a little bit. No, no, I don't. Okay, cool. My opinion on all the crypto stuff, my opinion, I could be wrong. I could be the big idiot here. I just, I look at it and I go, this feels like currency manipulation by billionaires. I just see Elon Musk go, Doge King on Twitter, and everyone starts buying a meme and Elon, who's getting rich off everyone buying the meme? Elon Musk. And then a lot of people are losing a lot on putting their money in that. I agree with the losing More a lot. More people are losing losing on that than winning on that. He's I would I would guess that Elon is not invested in Dogecoin or any sort of crypto to the point where it materially affects his net worth. I'm sure his his net worth is at and, the point or where or that it, like that it's that thought out that I'm going to say it so I, that my doge goes up and then I'll sell. But it does this is the thing. So I've gotten like I feel bad we're talking about him. <laughs> you feel bad? Yeah, because it's just he's 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 a person like Kanye and Trump, who, in my opinion, has and Kim Kardashian, who's found a way to make themselves the center of the universe. And I don't like anyone who's the center. Yeah, of the universe. that could be your own. Do you not? Issue. How often is he talked about? People hang on every tweet. He uh, well, he's the richest. First of all, richest man in the world. Totally. So that I mean, the, he makes great. He, you're going to get some attention if you fly a rocket to the moon. Once Trump was off Twitter, Elon Musk became the Trump of Twitter. Uh, you know, when Trump got kicked off Twitter, my first thought was everyone should get kicked off Twitter. There's not a person who's been kicked off Twitter that I miss. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually kind of gotten into Twitter lately. I was kind of took a long hiatus from it. Now, if you follow the right group, it can be okay. Really? Because I go on Twitter sometimes just for two reasons, to see how unfunny everyone is and how mean everyone is. It's just mean I mean, and unfunny. The internet as a whole is it like bring, how f- unfunny. But Twitter brings out the worst in people. People I like, people who I think are funny. I go on Twitter and I'm just like, Jesus Christ, way to just be the worst. You mean in terms of the joke? Just, just like saying it's like people who have funny jokes and stand up just go on Twitter and just like say mean things like that are snarky, but just not funny. It's so rare. There are a couple people, you know, I think Robert Schultz is really funny on Twitter. Um, I give him a hard time. I actually 
<laughs> I actually made a podcast about Robert Schultz's tweet once a uh, whole podcast a whole show like it was like gonna be multiple episodes about one tweet schultz posted um but he got very upset so i never posted it <laughs> <laughs> very upset on the premise or you showed it to him no he never saw it i think if he saw it he would have liked it because i'm uh, very complimentary in it yeah but uh this was before he blew up he okay. had like one tweet that got like 200 he was like getting like 10 11 likes a tweet and then he had one that got 200 likes i didn't understand the joke there were a bunch of typos i thought it was stupid and like it just pissed me off that this was like suddenly his most popular tweet yeah. and i just created a whole podcast which only had 200 views i had mitchell lamar on alice hamilton i was going around hollywood boulevard interviewing people about whether or not they understood the tweet um <laughs> This tweet really affected you. I just thought it was funny to be that petty about something. Yeah, it is funny. I commented on it, and Schultz never replied to the comment. So I was like, I'm going to make a whole fucking I'll show him. I'll I'll show him. And then, but after that, he kind of did blow up. I'm like kind of- You're like the guy. Don't mess with someone who buys barrels of ink. I'm kind of of regretful that I didn't let the podcast out because Schultz's Twitter did kind of blow up after that, and I could have been the person who saw- I kind of was the person who saw the moment it was happening. You should make a Patreon and have this as your first bonus. Oh, oh, oh! The two, uh, the two, the tweet episodes I recorded. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it, it is. I do agree with something you said. It's like sometimes you see people that you're like, oh, this person's so funny, and then they tweet something, you're like, eh. But maybe that's part of it. But I also see the opposite. At I, the end I of see this people episode, who are I'll like, play the intro for the tweet. Okay. Um, I see some people who are like, you're eh, but your tweets are amazing. <laughs> It goes both ways. Yeah. It's funny. I don't think I think I have conflicted feelings about my own Twitter, uh, but uh, <laughs> but I think I'm a better writer. I'll be on shows with people who crush it on Twitter. Yeah. And crush them on shows. If I get five likes on a tweet, I'm like, this is going to Instagram. Three likes. I go viral. Yeah. <laughs> I'm viral, baby. <laughs> my my most popular tweet ever was Elon Musk is the Kanye West of science. That is accurate. Yeah. Uh, most popular tweet I ever posted. That's a good one. How many likes? Uh, 300. It is just this social cur- uh, currency thing. It is just it's not going away. It's who it's so much. Because like that deserved thousands. <laughs> yeah, that does deserve thousands. But is it also that like a lot of people are talking about those subjects that they don't need to be touched on? I don't know. No, I, I hadn't seen anyone else tweet that. Is it the algorithm? No, I but just like... I don't think any algorithm Not your tweet specifically, <laughs> but like Kanye and Elon. There's so much stuff about them out there that like... I don't know. I don't know how Twitter works. I have no idea. These people go viral. It's just a mystery to me. But uh, I'm on there, so follow me. Uh, yeah, follow Latif. In fact, At Latif Tayor. Uh, at, Not the, Taylor. at the Edelmeister on everything, you make it. At, you make it one thing on everything, and still you no got to. Yeah, yeah. Still, no one follows. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Is it movie time? I've been. I can't wait to talk about. Yeah. Movies. Well, you know. Okay. So um, there, there are a couple things. I have. Well, I want to talk about movies. Movies was kind of where I wanted to get to at the end. Okay. Go. Go. What I wanted to talk to about before that was um, was uh, booking shows. Okay. Yeah. Because we both book shows now. And, yes, and what's yours called again? Undiscovered Genius. I love that title. I love the art. I love it. Thank it's you. I'm so actually even starting to make merch for it. Uh, it's great. I like. I've like 
Someone told me once that um, the best merch is merch people would buy even if they knew nothing about you. Yes. And I think Undiscovered Genius merch is something people would buy. Absolutely. They, they don't even need to know it's a show. Everyone thinks they're an Undiscovered Genius. Absolutely. Um, yeah. uh, I've made a couple of designs. You know, I, I go forever to like get land on yeah. the design. I like, I like that you are actually an Undiscovered Genius. Thank you. Thank you. Because if you weren't and you did the show, <laughs> it'd be problematic. Oh, if I... If I <laughs> As in, as in, if I wasn't. So, are you saying that because I'm, if I was discovered, or if I wasn't a genius? If you were not a genius, oh, thank you, and undiscovered, <laughs> and you did the show, it'd be awkward. Wow! But it wouldn't be awkward if you were a genius and had been discovered, because that's still cool. Because you're yeah. like, these are the next undiscovered geniuses. Well, that, that, I mean, the honest purpose of the show and the way I came up with it was because of the doc. The first, the first show was just me and Al. Yeah, and it was, uh, and I showed clips from the doc. I'd love to have Al on the on the comedy bunker. Uh, I can't. He is uh, he's currently living in New York, but I'll definitely let you. Anytime know he's in town, he's, yeah, that'd he's be back in back in Los Angeles. Yeah, so um, the doc needs a little update. It says he's living in London. Yeah, I know. Well, at the time the doc was finished, he moved to London. But yeah. uh, when the pandemic happened, he got kicked out of London because yeah, yeah. Uh, he couldn't work, and then he lost his visa for not being able to work. Very bizarre turn of events because the pandemic happened. He couldn't do stand-up, and they're like, well, now get the fuck out of our country. Do you think we'll be in a place where, like a 1984-style place, where all content is just, since it's digital, can just be updated? Like, like you would change that to where it's oh. like, oh, you know, he lives in New York now. Or, like, there's something problematic and you just take, like, I feel like eventually we'll all be there where just content is, is never static. See, I love a thing, I mean, I, I love a certain thing that Scorsese said about why he won't make director's cuts. Because, like, there's nothing I'd give to s more than to see a director's cut of Gangs, to see his original cut of Gangs in New York before Weinstein raped it. Um, but I love uh, that movie. I love that movie too. But there's apparently a three and a half hour cut that was the cut Scorsese wanted to release. But he says, but he believes that movies are the movies that get released when battling all of the different uh, things that go into getting it out there. I don't know. I watched Zack Snyder's. He's very cut. much a purist. Did uh, you watch the Snyder cut? Yeah, I loved it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Like, I did. I of did. The like. I don't understand. I never. Okay, granted, I never saw the original cuts, but I I just avoided them because of all the bad like comments people would say, and they were so good. I was like, what were people? What do people want from this? It was great. People don't know anything, but um, <laughs> but uh, and the four by three aspect ratio was killer. It was cool. Yeah, it was. It, it anything that you know, I was very. The two times I was the most lenient on films were um. During the pandemic, yeah. anything that got me through any amount of time during the pandemic, I was deeply appreciative of. So loved a lot of movies I watched then. And then the other thing is when I had movie pass, when I wasn't oh, paying, yeah. when I wasn't paying to see movies, I would just be like, yeah, that was great. When, when I'd have to drop $20 on a, on a movie, I'm like, this better be fucking good. Uh <laughs> but like I was like enjoying so I, like I saw um I don't know what was that movie with John Cena and the high school kids trying to lose their virginity um I don't mm -hmm. know some 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 movie is very stupid I was like yeah we're a good time uh, <laughs> yeah I mean when, if I paid to see I would be like trash trash garbage. I mean that's the streaming method it's like put content that you got to feed the beast you know I used to have a joke that like like I held on to my movie pass for like 
way after it went under when they were like, if it comes back and you let go. Yeah. And I felt like I was like, I'm like kind of like Mrs. Havisham and great expectations just sitting there in my wedding dress waiting for something to come back. It's never coming home. You hold on. We kept paying or no? I paid for like two more months. Oh, and I keep paying. It's going to come back. Yeah. 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 And I, just, I was like sitting there in my wedding dress like it's coming back. <laughs> That's horrible that the company would do that. Totally, totally. I mean, it was so great, but it was too good to be true. Yeah. Although now you can get the AMC thing. I think I'm going to sign up for that AMC. Yeah, my buddy Sam uses it. He loves it. Because, like, you know, the big thing that was keeping me from the AMC thing was that they weren't really getting indie movies. But the AMC 5 over here, like, I just saw Licorice Pizza yeah, there yeah. the other day. Loved it. Okay, fine. Yeah, we can I, can't, I, I can't wait to watch that. All right, fine. Well, listen, I just got to do one ad read first, and then we can go into... Uh, and this is a real ad read? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This okay. is a real ad read. Um, You've already got ads in your third app? I know, right? Okay. Today's episode is brought to you by Undiscovered Genius, February 12th at the Hollywood Improv. People are saying Undiscovered Genius is the best show in Los Angeles. One comic said, if given the choice between being paid to headline Latif Taylor's The Comedy Bunker or paying to go watch Undiscovered Genius at the Hollywood Improv, I wouldn't even think twice before giving Josh my money. Another comedy comedian said, Comedy Bunker what? Undiscovered Genius is the only show in town I care about anymore. And Comedy Bunker runner Latif Taylor says, If Josh Edelman offered to give me a three-minute cold open as people are still being seated on Undiscovered Genius, but only if I shut down the Comedy Bunker for good, uh, well, it would be bye-bye Bunker. That's how good his show is. <laughs> See the show everyone is saying puts the comedy bunker to shame. Undiscovered Genius, Saturday, February 12th at 9.30 p.m. I just read what, this, what they sent me. Yeah, no, um, I, I, I'm Latif Tayor, and I condone that message. So <laughs> Thank you. Okay, I'll movies. see you there for three minutes. Movies. All right, let's talk, uh, let's talk top movies of the year. So this is what I, that's what I was uh, trying yeah. to do. I made a list. I now, meant, I do meant they have to, to be movies released? Can they just be movies I watched this year? I wrote movies released, but I'll let them be movies you watched okay. this year. Um, I uh, well, we'll see. We'll see what like what you start. If you're like The Godfather was unbelievable, <laughs> I'll be like, shut the fuck up, Latif. Uh, Be- damn. Latif, uh, t- The Godfather, best here. best right. film of 2021. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, yeah. So so you know, Latif and I have talked about doing a movie podcast. We might we might we could might just fuse our podcast. It could be the it's the Jew Rogaine podcast showbiz or something it, it, it's <laughs> the longest most misleading title i'd be a hilarious i'll make uh, some sort of logo that looks like the two of ours combined nice. <laughs> um all right so so my number 10 house of gucci uh did you see it i saw it you didn't like it so house of Gu- this is very interesting and now I, again hold on yeah house of gucci has the best trailer I think I've ever seen for a film. Okay. Did you watch the trailer? Oh, yeah, yeah. I cut, love it. Cut to that Blondie song. Mm-hmm. It was so, like... Cut to the Blondie song. No, no, cut to uh, Sweet Dreams. No, there's one cut to Blondie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen both of them. I saw that one, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The best trailer ever. Like, you can't... What, you, you're just like, the stars, how the trailer was cut, the music. You're like, this is going to be the best movie of all time. Funny thing you say that, um, because... I'm thinking of the one with Sweet Dreams because after seeing the Sweet Dreams trailer, I pretty much listened to only Sweet Dreams are made of these like every run on repeat. Yeah, I listened like to Blondie weeks. for like two weeks. <laughs> like, so this is like the power of a great trailer. And 
for me, the movie didn't live up to that. Well, of course it didn't live up to it. And it's number and 10 on my list. And you got to understand, like, I've seen, like, 12 movies this year. So, yeah. <laughs> <I> saw, <laughs> so I, only two didn't make the cut. Um, but, but here's the thing. I'm very good at not going to movies I'm not going to like. I, like, I end up really hating movies I go to that I don't like because I do such – I put so much effort into not seeing things I'm yeah, not yeah, going to yeah. like. Um, and I also just love a sprawling mess. And I think it Ridley was a Scott, mess. and I think Ridley Scott's such a good director visually, um, that, that like I was, I was into it. There were moments where it got weak, like where it got kind of tedious at times, but like overall, I really loved kind of the twist at the end. Like, and when I say the twist, I mean the emotional twist, like, like spoiler alert, I guess. The emotional twist that she was kind of right about everything. Why do you have to say spoiler alert? What do you mean? It's so like infantile. Yeah, but I don't want to like. You know. I know, I know you should do it, but it's like eh, okay, we're talking about the mo- turn it off if you don't want. <laughs> well, just pause it right there, like but immediately. Like, but when like, what I said happens? It. Do people be like ah? And do they actually stop the like? It's just so. I, I don't know. It represents yeah, our yeah, times, but yeah, anyway, perhaps, go ahead. Perhaps people, you know, funny. Uh, I saw Scorsese on Conan when he released The Departed, and he accidentally. Spilled that Jack Nicholson gets killed, uh, and then <laughs> Conan's like, "What?" what and Marty goes, "Listen, listen, listen. It's not about what happens; it's about the ride." Yeah. And that's the truth. That, that's the true test of a good movie, in my opinion. It's like a movie that you can watch over and over again, even though you know what happens. Like, look at Titanic. You're like, "The boat's gonna crash." <laughs> you know it's gonna crash. You still watch the movie. You still watch the movie. I mean, it's like it's like. I can't even tell you how many times I watch a movie where I know someone's going to make a terrible mistake, and you watch it, and you sit there. It's the tenth time you're seeing. You're like, "Don't do it." Yeah. <laughs> it is okay. It was a great film. Best costume has to win best costume design. I think and Lady best Gaga design. and so Lady Gaga acting. La- oh well, my, well yeah. here's my thing about Lady. Gaga. First off, I think Lady Gaga is like the only, in my opinion, the only true superstar we have in the world right now. Like just like just like the superstar of our of our time. Um, I think she's incredible in the first half. She seems like she's acting a bit to me in the second half. Um, like during her emotional collapse? Yeah, I, like just parts where she's like acting like hot shit and stuff. I'm just seeing the Lady Gaga a little bit. Like yeah. like when she's like posturing with the chick he's cheating on her with. Like that. Oh, I love that. I, she had me the whole way. I I. I mean, I'll watch Lady Gaga do any. I think she deserves the Oscar nomination just for being such a such a behemoth in the movie. Yeah, and, Adam and, Driver was and, amazing. And uh, the first movie she was Star is Born is incredible. Yeah. I thought she should have won for Star is oh, Born. Oh, Star is Born, that scene, the opening scene where he's getting the guitars thrown at him and mm-hmm. he's on stage and it's a mess and you can't see. That's the only time they've accurately captured what it's like to do music on stage. Oh, interesting. Because every time it's always like, audience perspective and everyone's cheering and it's fun they showed a mess it's like oh the guitar throw and you're just like okay this was that that alone was so cool coming from a music um stars i i really i hated la la land and i was really i love la la land i was really expecting to hate stars born and i just loved it yeah, I, just, I was expecting to not like stars born yeah i just i just it it swept me off it was the um, until a movie I mention in this list, it's the best 
It's the most believable romance I'd seen in so long. It's the Star most. Born? It's the most chemistry I've seen between two characters in such a long time. I think that I think movies have been lacking chemistry between their leads. Like I very rarely truly feel the love in a movie, and I felt that's it in interesting Star is Born. because that's the one part of the movie I thought was really? missing. I thought there was no chemistry. Between really, them. Yeah. really. Oh, I totally bought it. I didn't buy um, it at all. Interesting. Okay, uh, number number nine on my list. Don't look up. I didn't see it. You didn't see it. Okay. So many bad reviews. People are talking about getting Razzies. The funny thing is everyone I know who's watched it, almost everyone I know who's watched it. I don't even know of it. What is it about? Loved it. It's the new DiCaprio, uh, Adam oh, McKay movie about kay. the end of the- So I watched like the first 10 minutes. And you weren't liking it. I just- I. I was like, I think I'm gonna watch this with my wife. And you, you start one of those. And yeah, you're like, yeah, oh, this yeah. Is a good, this I, is a good I don't date know what movie. you mean, but uh, <laughs> yeah. or a good, good date movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, I, it's I, it's not as good as Idiocracy, but I feel like it's the new Idiocracy. In that, I just got to the point where he's hol- like, uh, he's holding the man bag. Okay, or like the scene with um, Jonah Hill and uh, and uh, Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep. That was amazing. Yeah, it's. It's weird because it's a movie that's like presenting itself as a comedy and it is funny but it's it's the honest thing about it is it just feels so terribly accurate. It's and I honest. think and I think that's what's really putting people off is just how sadly honest it really feels that like it's presenting a comedy of just like the world we're living in. And there's a billionaire character who, who to me is an amalgamation of Bezos, Zuckerberg, and Musk, who I think truly captures what I disdain about them. I think there's an element I haven't gone played the by Mark movie. Rylance. It's almost like Mark Rylance plays the evil version of his character from Ready Player One. You know, like DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, m- huge stars, and I haven't gotten through the whole movie, but I suspect there's a feeling where this movie didn't give them the larger than life star. Well, actually, thing. this is it's one of my it DiCaprio has become one of my favorite actors. Absolutely. Um, I mean, like if I were to pick my two favorite movies of the last of the previous decade, it's Wolf of Wall are. Street and, and uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, he is so good in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So good. So and he's and in my opinion, he's so good in Don't Look Up. Yeah. He's I can't so wait to watch the rest. He do, I won't I won't ruin it. Spoil I won't give you the spoiler mm. alert. But there's a twist to his character that is something that I find so accurate about the society we live in and, and it as a as a person trying to make it in sort of a celebrity culture, the things his character ends up saying about celebrity culture really hit home. Yeah. All right. Uh <laughs> number Eight, bad trip. Did you see Didn't bad? See it. Do you know what it is? No. It's Eric Andre's kind of like jackassy type movie. Oh, I saw a trailer. Yeah, yeah. It was so fun. It might have just come out at a time when I needed it. <laughs> it was Ye- yesterday. <laughs> it was. Uh, it's like he tries to create a jackass that works in a narrative sense. Like they create a story in which all these, like, pranks are happening. There's one scene in particular with Tiffany Haddish and this unsuspecting guy who's, like, doing, uh, doing, <laughs> like, like painting a wall or something that just had me fucking dying. Like, it's, it's probably... It's not my top-ranked comedy on the list, but it's the hardest I laughed at anything last year. Nice. 
Um, so highly recommend Bad Trip. Another movie I expected to not like um, that I loved. Because I also didn't like Eric Andre's stand-up special at all. I didn't see it. Terrible. I love the Eric Andre show. Love Bad Trip. I love Eric. I've only seen him live, and he's fucking amazing. Yeah, his special just wasn't didn't, didn't connect didn't, for you. Didn't do it for me. Yeah. Uh, okay, number seven, Macbeth. Did you see Macbeth yet? This is not. We're not. I got some watching to do. I did not see <laughs> Macbeth. Okay, Macbeth. Um, really cool. Uh, I, I mean, like, it's the Shakespeare. Yeah. So here's. In a way, there's like Polanski's Macbeth, which I think really captures the true darkness of Macbeth. Like, if you see it, it captures, like, like you. Re- that one's more felt to me. This one, did you see Hail Caesar? Mm-mm. You never saw Hail Caesar? Oh, Hail Caesar's great. Um, Hail Caesar's the Coen all, Brothers, right? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It's all about this, like, movie studio. And Macbeth felt to me like if the movie studio from Hail Caesar made Macbeth. It feels like an old movie. It draws upon a bunch of people like Carl Theodore Dreyer, Ingmar like Bergman. Like Ed Wood, yeah, I mean it's it yeah, yeah, yeah. Like of that of that world. Yeah, yeah. Um and the performances are great and like it kind of he does an amazing thing of like making a cinematic play in which it's all on sets. So it's like it is very much a movie, but it also because it's all like very artificial and on sets, it does feel like you're watching a Shakespeare play. Yeah. Um but like in a very good way. I I can't wait to watch and it. And I also really liked the take on on it's different than a lot of other takes I've seen on Macbeth. Whereas like normally it's like the seductiveness of Lady Macbeth convincing Macbeth to commit this crime. Whereas this one's almost more like the prophecy itself incepts Macbeth's mind. And it's like, am I doing this because I was told by these people that this was gonna happen? Or was this always gonna happen regardless of what they said to me? Yeah. I think this is uh turned into a 10 movies I should watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, 10 movies I should watch. Okay, I, I'm pretty sure you saw the next one on my okay, list. Okay, let's see. Number six, Dune. I saw Dune. Did you like Dune? I liked Dune. Um, I think it... So I had this argument with a friend of mine who's into movies, and I was like, it, it seems so derivative of Star Wars. And he's like, no, it came first, blah, blah, blah. Okay, whatever. So it seems a little Star Wars derivative in terms of some of the aspects of that. Of the story. Of the story and the Because not so much the filmmaking. Not the still, not the filmmaking, but the story, the tech, the uh, costume design, the set design. As a uh, as a piece creating a world, it was phenomenal. I totally bought into the world, and it feels like I watched an episode one of ten things that are about to come. And I and I respected that as a directorial choice to be like, I'm going to build the world. We're going to go into it a little bit, but you're going to know it's so much bigger than this. And that gave me like a trust that I. Like, I trusted that they knew what they were talking about, even though the world didn't make sense, you know? But I knew the characters understood it, and it was real to them, so that made me think it was real. So, generally, I love Denis Villeneuve. I fucking hate it. Denis Villeneuve? Be be, be Denis. Be Denis. Don't be Denis. Is he Denis? He's Denis. Okay. Denis Villeneuve. uh, Not Denis Villeneuve. I think he's Canadian. Um, Huh. But... uh, Dennis Villain, you're Dennis Villanueva. <laughs> he, might, he might be French Canadian. Uh, I'm getting, yeah, Does he yeah. talk with a French accent? I think so. Then what are you what are you hitting on him for? I just I just can't. It's just this name. It's annoying. if he's a if he Did, has a regular accent, he, and he's he, like. If Ray, you're like call Ray me Fines, you're Ralph Fiennes, you're Dennis Villanueva. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, 
But uh, I'm protecting my French Canadian. I love I love every movie he made up until Blade Runner, which I couldn't stand. I loved it. I hated it. I he turned Blade Runner into a superhero movie to me, which which I did not like. Really? Yeah, because like the first Blade Runner, there's nothing special about anyone in Blade Runner in the original Blade Runner. Right. It's just he's a cop. He's on the beat. He's got to like find this person. He finds them. It's like they're replicants. It's the future. That's that. In this one, it's like there's chosen ones and the revolution and and all this stuff that I'm like, this is not what Blade Runner was supposed to be. And also, I felt it was like a little too. Like, like, you know, I thought that Ridley Scott had such like a precision and such a hugeness to the visuals of that world that like just were awe inspiring and unlike anything I'd ever seen before. Yeah. And I didn't think the new one looked like anything special. It just looked like a lot of other things to me. Yeah, it felt like a, a remake. So I went into Dune very much like thinking, all right, I love Denny, but uh, I'm not really big on your sci-fi fantasy and then i was blown away i started watching it at like midnight thinking i'd watch a little and finish it stayed up till three in the morning and yeah. like didn't want it to end i wanted to see the next yeah that's i the wanted thing. to see the next i want to know what's like i can't wait and, for dune two, which you know they're gonna make and i found like something really cool about it was um i felt like it he managed to fuse two things that, like, I thought would maybe been impossible to fuse. I thought it did have, like, the imaginativeness of, like, the Hodorowski ideas for Dune, but in a way where he made it feel plausible and real. Like, I always, like, like the only superhero movies I really like are the Nolan first two Batmans. And what I always really liked about Batman Begins is it was the first superhero movie I ever saw where it felt plausible in a sense. Like he made Batman into something that seemed like it could actually maybe exist. And I felt like it was within the confines of the, our world. And I felt like supernatural. And I felt like Dune, you know, with a couple of supernatural things from the book, generally felt like this could be a vision of what like inter uh, stellar world of the future could kind of feel like. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely like elements of I like our him fly the guy flying around and stuff. Which guy? The bad guy. There's elements of the whole thing, like uh, in terms of our history, mm-hmm. very clear, like you know our colonial history or whatever, uh, in there, which have kind of. And I also like that the movie didn't treat us like we were stupid. Like, yeah, like that's what like I'm saying. Yeah, you, yeah. you didn't understand a lot of the things that were going on, but you stuck with it, and eventually it they all didn't came over, together. They don't over-explain. Exactly. I love movies that don't over-explain. Okay. Uh, getting into my top five. Now, here's my top... Uh, I mean, technically, there's another movie or two on this list that could be considered comedies, but this is my top, like, all-out balls-to-the-wall comedy. Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Damn. I didn't see it. Oh, my God. Like, there's... Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar is the comedy I is been, that like Harold Kumar but no it's no it's 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 like Zoolander and Step Brothers it's just like it's Kirsten Wig and another writer from Saturday Night Live that like made a movie and it's just it's zany it's zany like movies aren't zany anymore yeah, yeah. it's like it's like you know there was that year where we had Tropic Thunder Step Brothers. Uh, uh, Sarah, forgetting Sarah Marshall, like since then there hasn't been like a year of like great comedies, in big part because you know we got so involved in the markets uh, overseas and China doesn't really care about comedies that we stopped making them. And here's one like it's it's literally Zoolander level zany, and I okay. was not expecting that, and um, it's just so funny. Yeah, and there they're was so good in it since the 
I guess the Apatow era was the last of the zany mm-hmm. zaniness. And now, like, who's running comedy movies? Like, who's who's doing like? I mean, still Apatow, but they're getting a little bit more like bit more like, mature. We can call it more mature, but I love. But there's nothing I I miss. We need the people making the goofball. But they're not doing. It. They're on TikTok making memes. They're on. Yeah, yeah. We need, but we need them in theaters. And Kirsten Wig, unbelievable actress, She's great. and and plays multiple roles in the movie. And just if you haven't seen Barb and Star, go to Vista Del Mar. It's on Hulu. Barb and Star can't recommend it enough. It's on my list. Okay, getting into the top four. Oh yeah, I bet you've not seen this one, but uh, maybe you have. The Card Counter. Love the card counter. Love the card counter. Yeah. Okay, great, great, great. Tiffany Haddish. I love Paul Schrader. Tiffany Haddish terribly miscast in the movie, in my opinion. That's my only complaint about it. I did not buy the only the only problem I had with the movie was not buying their romance at all. I didn't buy their romance, but I didn't. Fi- I found it. She worked in the role. It just could have been better. It's just like that role that I mean, he's and, you know, it's, it's kind of like a situation when DiCaprio's in Gangs of New York where it's like his first time working with Scorsese and it's like kind of off character role for him. And then Daniel Day-Lewis is just across like across the table from him, just fucking tapping his eyeball with a knife. Yeah. And you're and <laughs> and you're just like, uh, DiCaprio, you're a little bit outmatched in this one. <laughs> And I just felt like Haddish like, across from like Oscar Isaac delivering delivering a career best performance. Yeah. Like you're a little it was bit a out- great performance. You're just a little bit outmatched. Uh, just I was on yeah. the edge. I like I like couldn't look away from the screen. Um, it, was, it was very intense. Uh, and and the Abu Ghraib scenes in it are just I, the most. I, I fast forwarded some of them. I, I'm like I can't watch those. Oh my god! Like nothing made me feel the horror. Because here's what's so interesting that I think. Paul Schrader really captured about it. We think so much about the horror of the people who are being tortured. In and Paul scenes. Schrader is the writer of Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver, and he also made know. First Reform, which was my favorite movie of that year. Um, yeah. But like, you know, we think often about like the horrors of what it must have been like to have been tortured in there. And absolutely, that's definitely the worst. But these people had to be in the place where these people were being tortured, and it just—it's just like being in the most disgusting bathroom you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. And like like that's where you live and of course it's going to mess you up. It's like it's like when you, it's like seeing the Abu Ghraib next to seeing him in prison. Prison looked like an upgrade. And I think that's like part of the point for him is like like that like he became accustomed to prison life because it couldn't really get worse than what he was in before. Yeah. And just the psychological effects it had it like nothing kind of hit me harder that I've ever seen about the psychological effects of being in our whole debacle of, of the Bush administration yeah. wars. And the um, the casino scenes were so accurate. So good. And like, because a lot of times they glamorize the casino scenes and like it showed a casino how it really is, which is kind of just dark and depressing. Yeah. And like I was a big poker player. The poker scenes are so accurate too. Like, there's nothing like a, ba- a pu- like unaccurate poker scenes that like take you out of the film. So really good. Uh, you know, I'm always looking forward to what Schrader does. Top three. Top okay, three. we're breaking the top three. Number three, and this was my number one for a good long while this year. Okay, the last duel. Didn't see it, dude. The last duel is like, like what more could you want out of a movie? It's a hundred million dollar. Me Too Rashomon, directed by Ridley Scott. Um, one thing that I think is usually a knock on Ridley Scott is uh, his directing of actors. Like, for example, 
we were talking about House of Gucci, and everyone's good in House of Gucci, but it does kind of feel at times like everyone's in a different movie. Does that make sense a little bit? Yeah. Like, like there isn't quite the cohesion. Like, you watch a Scorsese movie, and, like, there's a true cohesion to, like, the world that everyone's acting in. I think there's a House of Movie, House of Gucci movie in there, good movie in there. Mm-hmm. And it could be in the edit. Like, I don't know. It, it, it definitely exists. But with Last Duel, it's one of the most well-acted Ridley Scott movies I've ever seen. Okay. Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Adam Driver, and, I mean, the best one in the movie is the female actress who her or matt damon whose name i'm, I'm i mean i love rashaban i i can't i honestly have never heard of this film so i'm gonna oh d- so it so it was a hundred million dollar bomb because people because they did a terrible job marketing it and yeah people, written by matt damon ben affleck and nicole hall of censor i'm saying her name is right. there an apple scene in it uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um but uh it's so basically it's like three versions of the same story from the three different perspectives it's about the rape of this woman in medieval times that leads to the final duel of of uh medieval of like this medieval england um or all something. right that's gonna go on the list but uh but like you get all three you get you get Matt Damon's perspective as the husband of the woman raped. You get Adam Driver's perspective as the person accused of raping her. And then you get her perspective of everything that happened. And, and like, the little twists between each of them are, like, subtle but so smart. Um, Matt Damon has to, like, almost play three different versions of himself in the movie, and he does such a good job. There's crazy battle sequences from the guy who made Gladiator that are, like, some of his best, and then the duel at the end of the movie, the stakes are just so high, you genuinely don't know what's going to happen, and it is just a one of the best directed, like, fight sequences I've ever seen. From Ridley Scott, it's, it's like, it's most... To me, it's his best movie probably since Gladiator. So far... You get the most animated about Ridley Scott. I am I'm a big fan. I'm a big okay. fan. I, I I I'll always see his movies. I don't always like him, but I'll always yeah, see yeah. him. Number two, and I would call this my number two movie. I'd call this the first masterpiece I've seen since Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay, Licorice Pizza, masterpiece. I, I can't wait to see it. It just it like I mean I love Paul Thomas Anderson. I have. I generally love him, too. I sometimes have mixed feelings on him. Licorice Pizza is in contention for my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson really? movie. And I didn't really think that anything would be able to top Boogie Nights or There Will Be Blood for me. And I don't know if it does, but it's so emotionally true. It's just one of the most emotionally honest films I feel like I've ever seen. I truly That's kind of his point of view usually but it doesn't always totally like it there was a perfection to it there are a couple of scenes that are absolutely hilarious in the movie and a lot of people have been having a problem with the fact that it's basically about a romance between a 15 year old boy and a 25 year old woman um okay uh, which is taboo but that's kind but the thing that's brilliant about the movie is it's the central conflict right between that's not in the trailer at all yeah well so basically it's like you have this 15-year-old boy and this 25-year-old woman, and, like, there is a connection between them that is, like, the most honest connection I feel like I've seen in movies in forever, beyond the connection I personally felt in A Star is Born. Like, like it's like if these two people were just the same age, they'd just be boyfriend and girlfriend and married and happily ever after, and there'd be no movie. Yeah. But because she's like, what am I doing? I can't 
beat this 15 year old boy and because he's like i'm 15 i gotta like you know be with people my own age uh, there that's kind of the conflict that drives it yeah. and it it, it you know, they're just like no they're not having sex there's like it never gets like gross or anything but because um, so in the trailers it's him and another girl his age no right? no no she's 25 and he's 15 oh really yeah um <laughs> that's uh oh okay then i just all right. and then I didn't realize that either until someone told me before I saw the movie. And I was like, oh, that sounds gross, too. And it does. And you're watching it and you're like, you, he gives you all these feelings that are very conflicted about everything uh. going on in the movie. And what it felt like to me is like a 1970s set movie that felt sort of like turn of the century F. Scott Fitzgerald or Ernest Hemingway impossible love. Yeah. Wow, um, so, so high praise from Josh. high praise. Yeah. So what's, what's number one you ask mentally Al number one <laughs> film of uh, 2021. <laughs> uh, oh, that's good. Yeah, I, didn't, I, I didn't even see that coming. Didn't that even great. see that coming. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Latif, Latif, do you agree? Mentally, out? I That's agree. Number song? one film of uh, 2022. All right. Uh, um, before we wrap this up, I just have to do one more ad read. Um, can we? Uh, do you? How long do these usually go? Uh, where, where are we at? Oh, this is this is the longest episode so far. But uh, do you, do you want to do some other movie talk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I do my ad read Absolutely, real quick and then yeah. we can do the movie? Today's episode is brought to you by Mentally Al Documentary. Mentally Al has been picked as the best comedy documentary of the year by the New York Times and was recently selected as the best movie of the year by the Jew Rogaine Experience. Hear what other people are saying about Mentally Al. One comedy lover said, If I was given a choice between getting paid to go watch the Comedy Bunker live show or paying to watch Mentally Al on an iPhone, I wouldn't even hesitate before giving Mentally Al my money. Comedy Bunker showrunner Latif Taylor said, Taylor said, Oh, amateur city. <laughs> Latif Taylor said, I wish Mentally Al documentary was a comedian and not just about a comedian so that I could book the documentary to headline every show. Mentally Al, out now, everywhere movies can be rented except temporarily Amazon Prime because of a lawsuit. Uh, um, okay, that's why I wasn't on Amazon. Yeah. I watched it on Apple TV. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be back on Amazon soon. Great. Um, so I'm torn on, since we're going long, I'm torn on two subjects. Okay. I know we could go forever no, on. No, just, just whatever. Who cares? It's Wh the Jew Rogaine experience. What do you think of the uh, the Matrix? Mixed. Mixed feelings. Yeah, mixed. The first 45 minutes of the Matrix are the are my second favorite Matrix movie. I agree. I think the that idea of making it a video game, and I was 100% in. Because before, I'm like, why are you doing revisiting this? I'm like, this makes sense. 45 it's, minutes. It's totally resonant to everything going on in the world right yes. now. And it's it was it was a brilliant way to make it. This, it is brilliant. This like, labyrinth that brings you back into kind of the, the mystery yeah. of the universe. And honestly, the only thing that ruined it for me was that the action is not that like 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 action scenes in part in number two and number three blow every action scene and this one out of the water. Yeah. If like just if just once it turns into an in one, it blows it out of the yeah, water. Yeah, one even. one blows everything out of the yeah. water. But I'm just saying like like if just if there was one sequence in the rest of the movie that lived up to like the car chase sequence in episode yeah. in, in the Matrix two. It would have been just like hands that love. Yeah, it. they just had four. He had like force push. As the like force push. There was like barely any karate. There wasn't. Yeah. There weren't like you know. You didn't get the. They talk so much about bullet time, and then they give you no bullet time. Um, and, and I'm I'm a little tired of like the homages to the 
to the tropes of the other films. There was too much of that. I didn't need like every little reference. There's so many l- references. I'm like, just tell me a good story. Mm-hmm. I don't need, I don't need like all the fanboy references. But like, I loved, I loved what they set up. Yeah, loved it. I really liked the the Neil Patrick Harris. Loved. Character. He was amazing. Um, a lot of people have not liked. I think he was great. He was. It, I it was, mean, was, what do you want? Uh, Without him in it, forget. I am not even watching it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just wish that the action was good. Yeah, and I love Keanu Reeves. He's great. Keanu's great. Uh, um, okay, now I want to talk about two films that are classics. Have you seen Thief by Michael Mann? Oh, yeah, yeah. Love Thief. I can't even believe how good a film that is. Have you seen Manhunter? I have not seen Manhunter. If you like Thief? I've watched the first, like, 30 minutes of Manhunter. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. I like Manhunter. I like... I'm torn between if I like Manhunter more than Silence of the Lambs or not. Oh, really? Yeah. It's that. It's that. I good. didn't get into Manhunter, but like the world of Thief and that, how good James Con was, and like James Con's amazing in it. Did you watch the behind the scenes of that? No. How they hired like all the guys in it are or real criminals. Of course they are. <laughs> Michael Mann's barely not a real criminal. And oh, I could like if you haven't seen if you're a movie person and you haven't seen Thief, like you gotta go see Thief. Thief is awesome. It's on a bunch of streaming services right now. Highly yeah. recommended. I think it's on HBO Max. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Thief is love Thief. Love, love Thief. Thief. But I th- watch all of Manhunter. I like like it. visually stylistic. Like the final half hour of Manhunter. <laughs> Tom Noonan plays uh, the Red Dragon in it, and Tom Noonan is. Unreal. Yeah, amazing. And then uh, Sorcerer. Oh, yeah, yeah. We talked about that briefly. Did we really? Oh, yeah, no. you're really picking, like, two, like, go-to, like, like. I guess for like, me, like. Macho Man movies. Sorcerer is dope. There's, like, uh, I've, like, rediscovered these filmmakers' early works now recently, and they've, Sorcerer is just so good. Have I never watched it because I don't like horror movies mm-hmm. so much. I was like, oh, it's a horror film. I don't know. No, no, no. It's, and I'm it's, like, oh, it's just, it was so well done in the sets. And I read. It's not a horror film, by the it's way. It's not guys. a horror film. Um, <laughs> it's a basically about a truck trying to get over a bridge, which yeah. sounds like an insane idea for a film. But this is Friedkin coming off of um, his biggest movie of his career. Uh, uh, the, uh, the French one. Connection. Well, no, he did Exorcist, then French Connection. Exodus, French Connection. I think French Connection and Exorcist. Maybe, yeah, yeah. French Connection, then Exorcist. So he's like, you know, Oscar, and then biggest movie of all time, or his third biggest movie. And then he does this great film about people in the jungle getting this truck and the, the commentary on the oil and the wealth and the... Oh, it's just... It's so good. I and couldn't it gets, he gets an unlimited budget and it gets... Buried by coming out the same weekend as Star Wars. Yeah, buried by Star Wars. And in this book I've been reading, he talks about how he wanted... Um, you've been reading... Uh, Freakin's book? Oh, you've been reading Freakin's book. Have uh, you or read sorry, it's not by him. It's, it's basically a collection of the Uh-oh, stories interviews. behind... Yeah. One of those interviews. But those are great. Um, you should, you got to read Easy Rider's Raging Bulls. I've, uh, oh, I've read that. That's, That's amazing. It's my, it might be my favorite book. Yeah, it's so good. They talk about Sorcerer in that. I think when I read it, I didn't know what Sorcerer was, so I didn't... Uh, That's where I learned about it getting buried by Star Wars. But he, he wanted to have um, Steve McQueen play the uh, lead role in, in Sorcerer, and I think that would have changed the movie. I could mm. t- 100% see But him. also, Roy Scheider's so so great. I love you know, Roy Scheider. In the thing, Freakin says how much he dislikes Roy Scheider's performance. Really? Yeah, and he's like, he wishes he had McQueen or a star. He's like, this movie needs three stars, and I got none of them. Sure. sure. I can see what he means, but I also love Roy- All That Jazz. You ever see All That Jazz? I like. Th- I think Roy Scheider's great. Yeah, yeah All yeah. That Jazz is one of my favorite movies ever. And to have, what, like a 30 to 40 minute 
uh, opening sequence in three different countries that almost has nothing and like expensive countries to shoot in, like one in Israel, one in France, and one in somewhere else in America. It's been a while. So three different opening sequences just to tell the backstory of the characters that are going to drive the truck. It's kind of in a way like the original very cool Suicide Squad. Yeah. It's basically like what Suicide Squad is, but like, but like not superheroes. Not and superhero like and just real 70s. Real and just like actually like raw and intense. Have you seen Live and Die in L.A.? Love Live and Die in Live L.A. Live and Die in L.A. is my favorite cop movie. It's phenomenal. I got to see it for the first time at the New Beverly, which oh, was awesome. Like experience um, uh, so last thing we'll talk about because he died recently and I have a great story about him which I shared on which I, you probably saw my tweets about it I think you like them uh, recently passed away Peter Bogdanovich yeah. uh, also great director from the 70s last picture show Paper Moon last what's up doc so good. last picture show is amazing um, <laughs> I was uh, in it when I was going to NYU I had this class I took called Hollywood Auteurs the coolest fucking class i've ever taken in my life this guy antonio manda if you ever go if you ever watch um life aquatic at the beginning of the movie when he's screening his new movie and there's the italian guy interviewing him that's my professor antonio manda oh, nice. um every week he'd like bring in people to screen whatever movie they wanted and then talk like willem dafoe brought in live and die in la that's where I saw Live and Die in L.A. for wow. the first time. Yeah, in class, on a big screen. And did he talk about it? And then he talked about oh, it afterwards. I love Willem Dafoe. So that was... Like, what a career to have. Yeah, yeah. So that was, that was like, an amazing way to see it. But uh, one day, Peter... Uh, it's just, we didn't always have people come to the class, and Antonio Manda's introducing the movie we're going to watch this week. The whole idea of the show was it was, like, movies from big Hollywood directors that were sort of, like, like not their most well-known or, or like, like off the be like we watched King of Comedy, Live and Die in L.A. Yeah, um, uh, yeah I watched War King of Comedy on your recommendation. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but one day he goes, uh, today we're going to be watching a film from, or he goes, today we'll be watching a film from uh, director Peter Bogdanovich called, starring Eric Stoltz and Cher called Mask. And then this kid in the class goes, ugh. I hate that movie. <laughs> and he goes, joining us for the screening today will be director Peter Bogdanovich. <laughs> and then we just all turn our heads and then just standing there with like his little scarf and his like proper face, hair parted to the side as uh, is, is Peter Bogdanovich. And the guy just sinks into his chair. <laughs> totally, totally. And Peter was great, man. He like, he like stayed, stayed, answered every question, yeah. was telling us all these crazy stories of all, talked about, <laughs> talked to us about the whole thing with, um, with, uh, his girlfriend that got murdered. Um, do you remember that? It's in. It's also in Easy Rider's Raging. It's like the craziest story for Easy Rider's Raging Bull. Bob Fosse actually made a movie about it called yeah. Star Eighty. Uh, it's been a while since I read Dorothy the book. Stratton. Okay. So after he left his wife to cheat on her with Sybil Shepherd, and they broke up, Dorothy Stratton, who became a Playboy model, was brought to Hollywood by her like kind of sleazy boyfriend who helped her like who like took the pictures that got her into Playboy. But then, like, she gets there, and she's, you know, from a small town with, like, this sleazy dude, and all these guys are like, you're a supermodel, you know, we're big shots in Hollywood, and she yeah. starts to, like, get sucked into that world, and, like, starts dating Peter Bogdanovich, and, like, wants to leave her husband, so is leaving him, and he doesn't take it well, uh, and he... <laughs> 
has her come over, blows her head off with a shotgun. This, this is a very upsetting thing I'm ending the podcast on. Has sex with her headless body and then kills himself. This is in the Easy Rider book? Yeah, and she was like going to marry Bogdanovich. Then Bogdanovich marries her younger sister. <laughs> and they're together for 10 years before getting divorced. This is, uh, I think I focused on the movie parts of the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, the whole thing about the book, there's such crazy stories. Yeah, yeah. Like, That's all 70s. throughout. Dennis Hopper's, like, being an insane person. Warren Beatty, yeah. like, handcuffing himself to people's desks. I just think it's funny that, like, studios always take the wrong message from things. It's like, I always think, like, one of the funniest things to me is, uh, Hollywood Studios gave an unknown director an unlimited budget and final cut. He made what many people consider the greatest film ever made, Citizen Kane. Studios consider this a cautionary tale. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's just like in the 70s, it's like we gave all these directors final cut and they made some of the best movies ever. Yeah. But they also were doing tons of cocaine and like just going crazy and stuff. And people think, well, this is why we don't give directors final cuts. It's like, no, this is why you don't give cokeheads final cuts. Do you cut. think it's also just human nature? Like, you have a job, like, at a studio. You do stuff. Your job is to interfere. And it's not – and th I'm not saying that that should be a job that is even had. But if you put people in jobs that that's their job, that's what they're going okay, to do. I've got a lighter, more hilarious story to finish on. I agree. And I think okay. – and, and I was talking about this with a friend recently, how we go, I think we need some of the studio interference in order to um, – in order for directors to fight through it and prove why they're right about things mm -hmm. to get to the actual place. That's correct. Yeah. Um, but also sometimes just let fucking Orson Welles make his art. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or let 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 it, but here's the thing. Look at Kubrick, for example. Not a drug addict. Responsible person. They gave him his money. They left him alone. And he makes art. The and Co he made him under budget. Under budget. The Coen brothers live at a certain budget, almost always turn a profit. Final cut, leave them alone, intelligent, like mm -hmm. hardworking people, nail it every time. Um, so, yeah, again, don't give drug addicts the unlimited budget. <laughs> so you don't know what they're going to do. Give, yeah, yeah. give, like, respected artists who take their craft seriously. I think sometimes people only have one in them, too. Maybe. That's true, too. You know. uh, I sometimes worry about that with, you know, having made the best film of the year. I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, where are you going to be next year? But, um, but, but I'll t end on this story talking about this. I used to work at this uh, post-production house, and there was this guy who was the um, on-set VFX uh, coordinator for for a bunch of movies, mm -hmm. and he um, he was the VFX coordinator for a bunch of movies, and I was talking to him, and I'm like, I'm like, hey, so you know, you work on all these super huge budget movies, like, what percentage of them are like really the director's vision versus like interfered with with the studio? And he goes, here's the thing, you can make the movie the way you want to make it. But in order to do that, you have to spend 85% of your energy fighting for your vision with the studios, and then you get 15% of your energy left to make the movie. And I go, have you ever seen anyone fight for everything they cared about and actually get the movie they wanted to make made? He goes, yeah, one time. <laughs> and I go, really? I go, what was the movie? He goes, Mr. Popper's Penguins. <laughs> 
That so if you see Mr. Popper Penguins, that is the director's. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. That it's that Jim Carrey movie where he's got the penguins that he's like. Uh, okay. <laughs> that he has to like house it in his apartment. The director had a vision for Mr. Popper's Penguins, and he executed that vision. Did your vision get executed for the number one movie of last year? Yeah, I spent five years making it. Uh, I spent a Kubrickian amount of time on this documentary. Yeah. Um, Do you feel enormously successful now? It's the first thing I've ever done where I look at it and I go, there's one shot I wish I got that I didn't get. One shot of the one film. Shot. I had one shot idea that I didn't, that I didn't get. Okay. Uh, I'll tell you the shot. Um, it's in the scene where he's with Bob, the, um, the, his friend from law school. There's a shot where you see a sign with like an arrow. What I really wanted to get was Al driving his car in the opposite direction of the arrow coming down coming down the street and i just didn't get that shot there were like a couple of shots that were like planned shots in the yeah. movie but it just but you personally do you feel enormously successful oh now? yeah yeah it's the it's it's the proudest i've ever been of anything i've done by yeah far. you should it's great thank you so much latif great Josh, episode great to be here it's, it's always fun it's always fun having a great conversation yeah uh, let's and, do more uh, of it absolutely absolutely guys um check out Undiscovered Genius, February uh, 12th at the Hollywood Improv. Check yep. out Mentally Out documentary on every streaming service but Amazon Prime currently for rental. And uh, and go to the Comedy Bunker. Even though there's these two things you should do more, the Comedy Bunker's yeah, great. Yeah, after you do those things, after you do, those do that. And just follow me on Instagram, Latif Tayor. That's what we need. Latif Tayor, uh, spell it for everyone so they don't mess L-A-T-I-F, up. L-A-T-I-F-T-A-Y-O-U-R on all socials, all things. And uh, check out Josh and I's episode on It's Show Business. Yeah, it's and, one of uh, my and as, we, as we talked about earlier in the podcast, I will play the opening... Uh, I will I will exit this by playing you the opening of my never released podcast, The Tweet. Oh, great. Yeah, I can't wait. Next time. Later. On July 11th, 2019, L.A.-based comedian Robert Schultz tweeted what he thought would become just another throwaway tweet. It was hastily written containing typos and multiple grammatical errors. Little did anyone know, and despite not making much sense, Schultz's tweet would go on to become one of his most popular ever, and the centerpiece of my own obsession. This is The Tweet. <laughs>